This morning's sermon comes from Matthew 6, 1 through 18. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be done in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Hard to believe that this really happened, but it did several years ago in Oregon. A mother pulled into a grocery store parking lot and left her car running, left it unlocked, left her four-year-old in the back seat and ran in really quickly to get a gallon of milk and some meat. Well, while she was inside for that brief period of time, a thief comes by and sees a car running and unlocked and jumps in the car and steals the car. But as the thief was driving away, the thief realized there's a child in the back seat. So he turns around, he comes back into the grocery store parking lot, returns the child to its mother, and then begins to lecture and scold the mother for leaving the child in the back seat and threatened to call the police on her and ordered her to take the child and then he jumped in her car and drove away. Hypocrisy. Unfortunately, we are well acquainted with it. But our familiarity with hypocrisy shouldn't numb us to the danger of it. And Jesus, in this passage, 
calls out hypocrisy and the danger of it so that we aren't numbed to it. He says in verse one, beware. Now that word beware means to give careful attention to. Jesus says, pay careful attention to hypocrisy. Why? Why should you pay careful attention to hypocrisy? First, let's define it. What is it? Well, Jesus defines it in verse one. He says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. Practicing your righteousness. So hypocrisy has to do with doing righteous acts. And Jesus gives three examples here of righteous acts. Giving to the needy, praying, and fasting. Now the key to understanding hypocrisy is to understand the motive behind these righteous acts. And in each of these examples, Jesus gives a very similar motive for each righteous act. So verse two, thus when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. You say, so what is the motive behind the hypocrite giving to the needy? It's to be praised by others. Verse five, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. What's the motive behind a hypocrite praying? It's to be seen by others. Verse 16, and when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. What's the motive behind a hypocrite? Fasting is to be seen by others. The word for hypocrite, the original Greek word for hypocrite is actor. That's the base or the foundation of this word. It was used for actors who played a part and who spoke words for an effect rather than to convey truth. Right? That, that's what acting is, right? They played a part and spoke words for a certain effect rather than to convey truth. Another word for hypocrite, maybe this would be one that's a little more accessible, but another word for hypocrite is a pretender, right? Someone who is pretending, someone who's putting something out there, a veneer, a facade, where the outward righteous act does not match the inner motivation. There's a disconnect between outward behavior and inner motivation. Take, for example, giving to the needy. You may see a hypocrite. Now, you don't know this person's a hypocrite or what's going on in their heart, but you see a hypocrite giving to the needy. And you see that, and you immediately think, wow, that person 
really cares about the needy and really cares about serving God. What Jesus is saying here is that the hypocrite is not giving to the needy for either of those reasons. And therefore, it's no longer a righteous act. If the doer is performing the act to enhance a reputation, Jesus says it's no longer a righteous act. That if it's done to enhance reputation, it's no longer a righteous act. So in this situation, you have been deceived by the hypocrite, or you've been deceived by the pretender because what you see as a behavior doesn't match up with what's really going on inside the heart. That's hypocrisy. Now, why is it so dangerous? It has to do with this, this word deceive. Why is hypocrisy so dangerous? because of who it bears witness to. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 13 to 15. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. Now this is Paul speaking of false or fake apostles, men who were going around disguising themselves as those who were serving God, disguising themselves as those who were apostles of Christ. But they weren't. And then here's the key to this. And Paul says, and no wonder. For even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Satan is the chief of hypocrisy. Uh, he is a, a pretender. He pretends to be an angel of light, which is why sometimes it's hard to detect his work because oftentimes Satan's work comes forth, at least on the surface, as something very, very good or very bright or very full of light. And yet behind it is something very evil and very dark and very deceptive. Now, here's why hypocrisy is dangerous. If hypocrisy is the foundation of who Satan is and how he works, And if hypocrisy is his playground, so to speak, then individuals or even communities that pretend or carry out hypocrisy in the devil's playground, they begin to become more and more empty and less of substance. There's the projection of something good and real, but, but it's not going on inside. And the, and the longer that that disconnect takes place, the longer that that disconnect is lived out, is the longer that that person is, is really living and breathing in the devil's playground, the more substance-less the person or the community becomes. 
because the veneer or the facade is increasingly grows farther and farther from what's going on inside. And so there's more veneer, less substance. The Queen Mary was the largest ship to cross the oceans. It was launched in 1936. Lasted four decades, this ship did. Endured a world war. And finally, it was retired. The Queen Mary was retired, and it, and it actually still is today, retired in Long Beach, California, where it's become a hotel and a museum. When they went through the conversion process of taking this ship uh, offline and it becoming just a place, a museum of sorts, they took its three large smokestacks off onto the dock where they were gonna, gonna basically strip it down and repaint it. The problem is when they put the smokestacks on the dock, they crumbled. Because the three quarter inch steel plate from which these smokestacks had been constructed was gone. And what was left was 30 coats of paint that had been put on over the years. There was no substance left. And the veneer and the veneer and the veneer that added up over the years, eventually when they took it down, just crumbled. That is a picture of the ultimate end of hypocrisy. Because hypocrisy is the foundational work of the devil, if a person or a community lives in that playground long enough, right, the devil accomplishes what the devil is out to do, which is to destroy. And the person or the community eventually crumbles. That's the end of hypocrisy. Now, the question is then why in the world do you and I struggle with it so much? And I'm not speaking of something that happens out there. You and I know hypocrisy well. Why do we struggle with it so much? If, if that's the reality of where it comes from and what it is, why don't we avoid it like the plague? It's because there's a very enticing reward to hypocrisy. And Jesus speaks of it here. In all three of these examples, as he describes the righteous act that is done for the praise of others or to be seen by others, he repeats the same phrase, the same announcement of the reward in verses two, five, and 16. He says, truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. You say, well, what's the, what's the reward? It's a reputation. Right? They, they, they sought a reputation, and they got it. They sought the praise of others, and they got it. Right? You, you seek the pat on the back, you get it or you seek affirmation and attention, you get it. The reward of hypocrisy, of pretending, is a reputation, at least in the, in the near term. It's an enhanced reputation. That's why we struggle with it. That's why we struggle to pretend and put something out there that's not true of what's really going on inside, because we want a reputation 
Hypocrisy will get you a reputation, a good one at least in the short term. And so what Jesus is saying is they got their reward. They got what they aimed for. There's nothing more. Why should the hypocrite expect to get anything more than what they already received? In fact, that word for reward is, it actually means a wage or pay. In other words, they were paid in full. Why would they want anything more in the form of divine approval or divine reward? Right? They've been paid in full. It reminds me of the story in Genesis 25 when Esau sold his birthright to Jacob. The divine birthright in that day, which included the promises of salvation, which included a double share of the inheritance, it was the greatest gift anyone could ever have is to possess the divine birthright. And Esau had it. And then we learned that he stumbled into Jacob's tent after a long day. He was exhausted. He was hungry. And decided to sell his birthright for a pot of stew. He decided to satisfy his temporal hunger pains rather than be satisfied eternally with the birthright that was his. In other words, he let the, the, the hunger of his belly drag him away from the presence of God. He exchanged one reward for another. Right? He exchanged the birthright for a pot of stew. That's what the reward of hypocrisy is like. It's exchanging the reward. Exchanging a, which we're gonna to get to here in a moment, exchanging the eternal satisfying reward for a very temporal reward, which is the praise of others or to be seen by others. So then what's the remedy for hypocrisy? It's dangerous, we've seen that. It's at the heart of what Satan, what the devil is doing. It's how he operates as an angel of light and how he works in and through people to follow that hypocrisy. And the reward is seemingly instant. I get someone's praise, I get someone's affirmation very temporary, then what's the remedy? It's that enticing. What is the remedy for hypocrisy? Well, in each example, giving to the needy, praying, fasting, Jesus gives a similar command in response. He gives a similar command in response to the act or the behavior of the hypocrite. The first example, verses three to four. He says, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. In other words, he's saying, don't let everyone know that you're giving to the needy, that you're being generous with the needy. Don't let everyone know. In the second example, verse six, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret 
Jesus is not forbidding public prayer here. Rather, he's forbidding prayer that is done to impress others. And he gives a second command here regarding prayer that drives home the same point. In verses seven and eight, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that, when, that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. The Gentiles believed that if they prayed a really, really long time, that maybe their God would hear them and receive the prayer. Now, Jesus here is not forbidding lengthy prayer. In fact, Jesus himself prayed at length in Luke chapter six. Jesus even repeated himself in prayer in Matthew 26. In Luke 18, Jesus told a parable to his disciples about never giving up in prayer. He's not, he's not saying don't pray a long time. He's saying don't pray a long time to try to get God to hear you, right, or to receive your prayer. This is, this is, this is what the, 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 the pagans do, the world does, try to get their gods to hear. And then even verse eight, Jesus says, the Father already knows what you need before you ask him. In other words, when you pray, you're not informing the Father of things that he's ignorant of. You're praying to worship him, ultimately. Not to inform him, but to worship him. Right? What Jesus is getting at here is prayer that is God-centered, not self-centered. And he goes on to give an example in the Lord's Prayer in verses 9 to 13, this, this model prayer, which we're not going to go into detail on the Lord's Prayer, other than to see where the Lord's Prayer sets in context. And this is the importance. Jesus gives a model prayer, not what to pray, but how to pray. In other words, here is how you pray in a God-centered way and not a self-centered way. That's the value of the Lord's Prayer set here in this context. It's prayer that is God-centered, not self-centered. The third example, verses 17 to 18, but when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. Washing and anointing with oil were normal parts of personal hygiene in the day. What Jesus is saying is, take a shower and brush your hair so as not to, to draw attention to the fact that you're fasting. You're doing it in service to God. What's the promise attached to these commands? It's the same promise repeated over and over. Verses four, six, and 18. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. In secret just means an audience of one. It means when you give to the needy, when you pray, when you fast, and we could go on and on with other righteous acts. When you do it, you're doing so with your eye on God the Father alone and not on others. That's what it means in secret. At a heart level, your focus, your eyes are on God. 
and not on others. And what Jesus says, when you do it in service to God and not to get praised by others, not to be seen by others, when you do it in service to God, you will be rewarded. You say, what's the reward? You'll get a raise at work. Your circumstances will turn around. You'll be really healthy. Some of you are getting really uncomfortable right now. No, of course not. That's not the reward. You say, what is it? In Genesis 15, right before, God makes his covenant with Abram. He says this to Abram in Genesis 15:1. Do not be afraid, Abram, I am your shield, your very great reward, or your exceedingly great reward. Now, God would go on to make a covenant with Abraham that promised offspring or children and that promised land. And yet what we hear here in verse one is that the reward for Abraham was not ultimately children or land. It was God himself. God himself was the reward. Nothing on earth is the reward. Not even heaven is the reward. Psalm 73, verse 25. Who am I in heaven? Or who have I, ha I in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. In Psalm 16, 5, David says, the Lord is my chosen portion and cup. Even when you look at the language that God spoke in the covenant to Abraham and you watch that pulled through the Old Testament, all the way into Hebrews chapter eight, which quotes Jeremiah 31, you see God said, I will be your God. You will be my people. And then it says, they shall all know me. The reward is God himself. And the reward is enjoyed in a relationship with God himself. Jesus describes two different rewards in this passage. Two different rewards. The reward of the hypocrite, which is a reputation that's obtained by getting the praise of others or being seen by others. And the other reward that he describes is the reward of the servant of God who serves God alone. And the reward is God himself. Two very different rewards. And these two rewards create two very different ways of life. The reward of the hypocrite 
the enhanced reputation obtained by getting the praise of others or being seen by others creates an insecure life that is, that is constantly taking in order to gain security. The reason I say insecure is because you know and I know that the praise of others is very fickle. You know that you can be praised by others and then the next day receive heavy criticism. And so the, the reward of the hypocrite is, is very unstable. That reward creates insecurity because the reward itself comes and goes and it swings back and forth, leaving the person unstable, a reputation that's unstable and constantly taking to replace the praise if it gets taken away or constantly getting more praise knowing that the next day it could be taken away. It's a very insecure lifestyle and it's incredibly exhausting. But the reward of the servant of God, the reward of the person who serves God alone, creates a secure life that is about giving. And the reason I say secure is because of what we read in Ephesians chapter one. In Ephesians one, the first half of the chapter, Paul is speaking of the wealth of spiritual blessings of those who are in Christ, of those who trust Christ. He, he goes over and over and over on the wealth and the riches of what the believer has in Christ. Then he transitions to praying for believers. And this is what Paul prays in Ephesians 1, verse 18. That you may know, speaking of all that are in Christ, that you may know what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Now notice what inheritance Paul is speaking of here. He's not speaking of your inheritance your reward. He already did that at the beginning of Ephesians 1, where he speaks of your reward being and your inheritance being God himself, Christ himself. Here, he's speaking of God's inheritance. God's inheritance in the saints, those who have placed their trust in Jesus, that God himself has a reward, an inheritance. And it's you and it wasn't purchased by you. It was purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ, which means we have two things happening here in regards to reward. God is your treasure, and you are God's treasure. That it works both ways, and when you realize that, that God loves you, delights over you, sees you as his treasure based on the work of Jesus Christ, that creates security. That's a secure life. That now, a life that can give and give and give. You no longer have to take 
from others what you're receiving from God. An insecure life is always taking from others to fill, fill, fill. A secure life underneath the love and the delight and the treasure of God is being filled by God and therefore able to give, give, give. So now you can actually give to the needy without giving to yourself. Now you can actually worship God by praying rather than giving to yourself by praying. Now you can actually seek God through fasting rather than giving to yourself through fasting. Let me illustrate it this way. You and I are always living in a deficit or a surplus. Always. Always living in a deficit or a surplus. Imagine that you are working in a job that is not compensating you enough to pay the monthly bills. And so you are always living in a financial deficit. So you interview for a new job with a different company that will compensate you significantly more to where you can pay your monthly bills and maybe even have a little bit more left over. You go into that job interview, and as you go into the job interview, you realize that you're really not qualified for it. You don't have the experience they're looking for you don't really have the skill set that they're looking for, but it would compensate you enough and more to cover your expenses. What would you be tempted to do in that interview? You'd be tempted to pretend. You'd be tempted to pretend someone you're not to maybe somehow say you have the experience that you really don't have or, or that you really do have the skill set even though you don't. You'd be tempted to pretend, why? Because you're living out of a deficit. Now, imagine you're working in a job that is compensating you well enough to pay your monthly bills and to give you a little bit of a financial surplus at the end of each month. And on top of that, you're actually happy with your job. But someone who knows you says, hey, there's this other company that's looking for X position and think that you could, you could really be, uh, you know, I think you could be really good, good for it, right? So you say, okay, I'll interview. So you go to interview and as you get into interview, you realize, I don't know that I'm really quite qualified for this job. I don't quite have the experience they're looking for. My skill set's not really there. What would you do in that interview? You'd probably be a lot more honest. You'd probably say, I just don't really have the skill set, probably. Don't quite have the experience. You'd be honest. Why? Because you're living out of a surplus. Now, I've used a financial example to press home the point. But in life, you're always living out of a deficit or a surplus. 
the reward of the hypocrite, an enhanced reputation that's obtained by getting the praise of others, the reward of the hypocrite will always leave you in a deficit. And you will always be living out of a deficit, which means you will always be tempted to pretend to manage your image in front of others. But the reward of the servant of God who is serving God alone and the reward is God himself, that person and that reward will always leave you living out of a surplus. And in that surplus, you don't need the praise of others. You don't need to be seen by others because you're seen by your God who you are convinced because of his word cherishes you, loves you, delights over you. And now out of that surplus, instead of taking, you are free to give. You don't have to pretend. You don't have to play the hypocrite or act like a hypocrite. You're free to be honest, to be vulnerable, to be transparent, to be genuine, because you're living out of a surplus. Now, how do, you, how do you know if you're living out of a deficit or living out of a surplus? And let me just pause here and say this. Every one of us are hypocrites. Okay? Everybody can relax with that. That's what we struggle with, this side of glory. In this world, in this broken world, everyone is a hypocrite. God loves you. He doesn't love the veneer or the facade that you put out there. He loves you. And when you're acting like a hypocrite, he loves you into repentance, back to the place of freedom. He loves you out of the deficit and back to the surplus where you belong. Like that's what repentance is. Repentance is moving from deficit to surplus. Because in sin, right, we're living in a, in a deficit. We play the hypocrite. We pretend. We put something out there. We've got to convince people we're good. We're pretty. We're successful. We're whatever it may be. That's what we do. And then we're reminded of God's love for us and his delight over us. And in repentance, we move out of that place of deficit where we're taking and taking and taking and never satisfied to that place of surplus where we're eternally satisfied and where we're free to give. Now, how do you know when you're living out of a surplus or out of a deficit? And then this is, this is a daily, weekly, can be an hourly thing, just like repentance is a daily, hourly, weekly thing. Here are a couple of questions to help you answer this. Do you feel a constant need to prove yourself? Do you feel a constant need to win or to be better than others? Do you regularly compare yourself to others? And if you're on social media, the answer is yes, you do. 
Social media is fine. I'm not slamming social media, but you talk about the comparison game. It's deadly on social media. Are you afraid to be honest with others about your sin and failures? Do you feel the need to regularly show others your achievements or the achievements of your children? If you are living out of a deficit, the surplus awaits you. You don't have to purchase your way to it. You don't have to earn your way to it. It was purchased and earned for you by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. The reward, which is God himself, Christ himself, is yours by faith. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. And leave hypocrisy and pretending behind. And when you creep back into it, fix your eyes on Jesus and leave it behind and live out of the surplus of God's love, delight over you. Let's pray. Father, your word goes so deep goes to our hearts. You know exactly what it's like to live in this world. All the temptations, pride, the hypocrisy. You know exactly what it's like, and it, that's why when you put on flesh, and Jesus, why you came into this world, you can now speak in this Sermon on the Mount in areas that, that hit, if we're honest, uncomfortably close to home. And yet, Jesus, these words you speak are so freeing at the same time. That we are free, that we are loved, that we are treasured, that we don't have to pretend, that we don't have to play the hypocrite, that we can be honest and authentic and real and transparent and genuine because we're living in a surplus that you purchased for us. So, oh, Father, would you... For those of us, all of us, that are living in different forms and levels of hypocrisy, would you by your spirit turn us to your son Jesus where we find freedom, where we find joy, where we find security that is eternal. And we pray this all in Christ's name, amen.